Welcome, folks, to The Uncommon Good with Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr. Every week, diving deep into the truth of Catholic social teaching and restoring all things in Christ. The Uncommon Good is on the air. I'm Bo Bonner. And I'm Dr. Bud Marr. We are coming to you from these United States of America, here in the middle of the country, good old Iowa, on Iowa Catholic Radio. We are underwritten by Mercy College of Health Sciences, where Bud and I both work. I am the Senior Advisor for Mission Initiatives and the Director for the Center for Human Flourishing. Bud, what do you do at the old college? I'm the Associate Provost, so it's kind of fun. Work with our professors and program chairs to make sure that the book learning and the skills practice go well for our students. I always like to say, what's Vost that you're pro? Like, I'm Provost. I'm Provost. I'm Negavost. Mm. <laughs> I actually, I know you're a big etymology guy. Okay, it'd be kind of fun to dig into the etymology of provost. Well, say something hilarious. Why I use this app called Etymology Online? People are like, "Oh my gosh, are they really opening the show mm-hmm. with etymology?" Whenever yeah. we do this sort of thing, like, I wish we could get Etymology Online to underwrite the show. That's right. I, I just don't know if they make any money in any way, but that would be great. Mm-hmm. It's from Profost with an F. Local governor, representative of a king in a country or a district. Yeah, I see that. that so like King Dr. Henry. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, we, you have, you inaugurate a, a president and like, you know, we just had a big, like, well, we had the inauguration not too long ago and then England tried to one up us and inaugurated a king. What a joke. I kind of think ours was more fun. And I'm not saying that he deserves a crown, but like. We could have got the man a cape. Dr. Henry? Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> I I had a priest who used to break out his cape for um like the fall festival and things, but I like that definition of provost. I'm glad you looked that up. I'm surprised <laughs> I never had. And actually, I mean, I don't want to oversell my role, but I I have been surprised like um I was trained more as like a classroom instructor, and there is a real governance element that comes in into being like associate provost, provost. And that's been the stretching part for me because I had not had a lot of practice at governance. But I, I understand like Solomon now asking for wisdom when God would have granted him any wish. Uh, you haven't ever had to like tell anyone to split a baby, but like you have had contentious discussions. That I you've try had to have. it. Like, wh- what do we do with the exam? Cut it in half. Cut like, the exam in half. What are you talking about? But I will start walking around with a scepter. That's right. I I think that's only fair. It is right and just. We are underwritten by Mercy College of Health Sciences where I am, Associate Provost and Bo, Director of Mission. A lot of great things happen at the college. We're going to talk about Sabbath rest today. Our springboard is summertime. Uh, The great thing about Mercy College of Health Sciences is we do create rest for our students, but we also offer courses year-round, including during the summer. So anytime you're looking to start a healthcare career, there are some some great launching pads at Mercy College of Health Sciences. (laughs) MCH... mchs.edu for you to um, see what futures might be in store for you in the health sciences. So, Bud, you already hinted at we're going to talk about Sabbath rest. Part of this is because we were trying to think of a topic before the show, and we were like, man, our brains really need a rest. That's all we needed, Bud. That's how the magic of this show happens is even when – we feel like our brain is stew or jelly. Mm. The mayor, the main, the, the very fact that that's how we feel, we observe that, boom, we have a show for folks. My body needs some rest after trying to swing a golf club. And I have to, <laughs> I have to say to our listeners, if, if you're looking to support the station in any way, we covet your prayers, your time, 
your your talents. Uh, but if you're if you're looking to contribute monetarily or to offer financial support, like plugging into the uh, annual golf tournament is a great time. And uh, it's just to me, it's one of our most fun most fun fundraisers. So if, especially if you got a business, you'd like to like uh, sponsor a foursome. It's a great time each May, even though I end up embarrassing myself. I think it's important if people are like, well, how did you guys do? It's sort of like Las Vegas. You don't <laughs> tell tales out of you know school. What happens uh, at li- Legacy uh, Golf Course yeah. in Norwalk State? Our lips are sealed. Our lips are sealed. Uh, but it was a great time. It was great to see all the Iowa Catholic Radio folks. Um, it's going to be a great time uh, on our show, bud. I, I have a, a sense that this one will end up being electric. Uh, so people should stick around uh, to make sure to hear us talk about Sabbath rest, things like leisure, how does that work uh, with work, um, all of these things coming up uh, with the rest of the show. This is The Uncommon Good, Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr. Stick around. We'll be back right after this. Back with the Uncommon Good, Bo Bonner, Dr. Bud Marr, joining you this week. Thank you for listening to the show. It is wonderful to have you with us, whether it be live on Iowa Catholic Radio's uh, network of towers, uh, towers and pulleys and lifts, I believe, uh, the physical way <laughs> that happens, uh, or iowacatholicradio.com, listening live, the Iowa Catholic Radio app, or iowacatholicradio.com to listen to the podcast. It is wonderful to have you with us. You know how your mind sometimes finishes someone else's thoughts? When you said, thank you for being with us, whether or not, da-da-da, and you wanted to like how people listen, I thought you were going to say weather permitting. (laughs) And I was like, I I think people can listen in any weather conditions as long as they have internet. That's weather permitting. That's not, that didn't even always used to be true because sometimes the internet, uh, you know, to speak to the youngins out there, was severely um, connected to weather whether uh, it was raining hard or not. Pre-COVID, the station would do a lot of like live broadcasting. Right. And I'm sad that we haven't fully leaned back into that. Like this past week at the golf tournament, it would have been awesome to broadcast from there. In fact, I would rather not quote-unquote golf, as I'm <laughs> supposedly doing, but sit like on the ninth green and comment <laughs> on people's swings. That w- maybe we, yes. Maybe we should do that. I, I could see us being... Uh, um, Here comes John Leonetti to tee off at the ninth <laughs> hole. That didn't look quite right. Another slice. Yeah. Uh, no, that's okay. <laughs> I do like that one. You know, so to make this point, bud, uh, we did have uh, the golf outing. Um, what I think is interesting is it brings up something that we want to talk about. Uh, you know, we, we'll, we'll brainstorm and we'll try to come up with a show. And sometimes our brains will be absolutely dead. Fried. It will be like, uh, you know, trying to rub sticks together to make the spark. Nothing. <laughs> nothing, nothing. Um, sometimes that's because the wind of change is happening or, you know, uh, things are happening yeah. uh, that uh, make us not be able to just rub two thoughts together. But I do realize that for us, part of this is now, at Mercy College of Health Sciences, we do have a summer semester. Yeah. So it's definitively the case that we have people running around. But I just think May starts to be that general time when everyone's brain knows that they need a break. And golf is a nice way to have, take a break. Uh, that's, that's absolutely true, um, except when you're you and me and we're really bad at it. Uh, so maybe that might be more work than leisure than it should be. 
Um, but I do think it's important to realize that within creation itself, God knew that we couldn't be just at it all of the time. And so Sabbath, in terms of uh, where this comes from in Scripture, we have someone like Joseph Pieper talking about leisure. Uh, it's important, bud, for people to talk about taking rest. Uh, but I think it can get really interesting about what we mean by that, particularly because usually people act like all Sabbath and leisure is is uh, recharging your battery so you can get back to work. Um, but that seems to be completely opposite of what God was up to, being that the seventh day when he rested was sort of crowned with glory and wasn't seen as mere necessity uh, to get back to something else. He didn't start creating again um, after he rested, as it were. Yeah, this is at the core of the scriptural vision. And my Sunday school teacher when I was little pointed out, it's really true, it's not that God needed to rest as if, as if he had grown weary from the act of creation, but God models this and paints this picture, casts this vision from the very beginning. And it's, I think it's one of the ways that we, you know, we're created in, in God's image. And people ask like, well, what does it mean to bear the image of God in light of the fact that God in his essence is, is spirit, you know? And so there's all sorts of ways that we, we bear the image of God, but I think one of them is through this Sabbath rest. And Bo, it reminds us, uh, I think this, this really helps us to understand what it means to be truly human. So human beings are not, you know, contra like certain communist visions, like fundamentally laborers that were, were created for work, but were created for worship. And so if life were just uh, a, a continual experience of waking up and working uh, growing weary and then going to bed, uh, like that's, that's a form of idolatry. And it's one area where our culture, I think puts a lot of pressure on us because we do boil a lot of things down to efficiency and productivity. And so the way that our world works now, like I, I don't want to give the impression that like, Oh, if we only went back to 1950, like mm. things would be better. But there was a way where, you know, I think it was sort of like the inertia from a Christian culture. Like even when I was growing up, a lot of businesses would be closed on Sundays as as uh, in honor of the Lord's Day or at least like a tip of the cap to that. And today, the way that our society works, it's just like it's hard to step away. And part of it is like the technologies that we have. But it's just like we we prize productivity and we prize profit so much that like the the church offering its members Sabbath rest, it really is truly countercultural, I think. It's important to point out, too, that rest is not the absence of something. In Catholic world, I think one of the tricks of the trade that might make people most annoyed is we'll, you know, but we'll say, oh, this concept you think you know, you actually have it backwards. (laughs) But to be fair, a lot of the modern world was taking, I mean, intellectually, intellectually wise, things well established and sort of flipping them on their head. So one we have pointed out again and again is that peace is not the absence of violence. Actually, war is the absence of peace. And that entire social orders turn on how you interpret that. So the modern one really does say, actually, the world is brutish and short and, you know, like everything that uh, 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 Thomas Hobbes said. And so... The only way that you can make there be any peace is through force, all of these things like this. It's much different to say the world was created in peace. It's fallen, and things have gotten very unpeaceful, even to the extent that we might need things like 
um, the state to, you know, to carve out order, but it's not creating order. Um, peace is not the absence of war. War is the absence of, of peace. Same thing with evil, right? Evil is not like this thing, this positive thing, and we have to get it out of there so there's a chance to be good. Evil is a perversion of good, the absence of it. So on down the line. Here we're dealing also the same thing with rest. Rest seems like the absence of activity, but classically at least, rest is called perfect activity uh, by the theologians. And the idea is that God is perfectly at rest because God is perfectly in action. When he acts, there is nothing remainder or left over that he must then compensate. So, I mean, get as biophysical as you need to. If you're a spiritual entity, you don't burn calories in a biophysical body that then have outputs that must be dealt with and then that your body must heal from. And so um, as an animal, you rest. And of course, to point out too, right, like not all animals need to sleep. Sleep seems to be something to do specifically with um, animals with enough high enough brains that something occurs when they go to sleep and resets. But we're just talking about the fact that if you exert force um, mechanically in any way, so let's even not talk, not even biological things, but if you have um, like an engine, eventually it needs to rest because otherwise it gets too hot. It starts to malform. It needs things replaced. Rest, as we think of it, is the cessation of activity. But what it is is we have activity that's imperfect, and so rest is actually us trying to return to that perfect order and peace and look forward to that day when we can act without any remainder and thus we will be at, that's why we talk about eternal rest in heaven. You know, we say eternal rest to those who've died, but then we ask the saints for prayers, but that's precisely because we don't think they're like taking a vacation, hanging out, but that when they pray, they don't, it's not only that they don't use biophysical energy, it's that even spiritually, they are not, um, there's not, there's no remainder left where it's strife. It's part and parcel of who they are now to pray for us, and to intercede for us. And that's why rest is not simply the uh, cessation or absence of work. Yeah. Well, when you were talking there, it brought to my mind sort of like an ancient conversation, a theological conversation. And if you read church history, sometimes you'll hear that like St. Augustine had a different vision of heaven than like Gregory Nazianzen. And so you've got like a more Western mind like Augustine and then the Cappadocians, like these great Eastern church fathers. And for Augustine, he did talk uh, about heaven using Sabbath terminology. And so he had this sort of idea, like life is characterized by, by change and by toil. Uh, and, and so heaven will be this kind of eternal rest. And then like the Cappadocians, someone like St. Gregory Nazianzen, you know, he, uh, he thought of eternity more as this eternal movement into the mystery of God. And so he said, like, when we reach heaven, it won't be that we'll reach like a culmination point, but heaven will be like an eternal, like unfolding or ever like increasing knowledge of who God is. And because God is infinite, like that, um, that experience can have this eternal dynamic to it. I think there's a way to wed the two based on what you're talking about, where, Sabbath, like using the language that Augustine did, it's not like a sort of stasis. Like that's not really how we we should properly think about it. But it, it involves contemplation. It involves uh, its own sort of movement, but of a different sort. But this, like that whole conversation, like you're right, Bo, 
it does challenge us to think about how we structure our Sabbath. And, you know, I'm preaching at myself, like here, like the microphone is reverberating at me. I don't know if that works, but, um, angry Mike, you know, like we can think of, of Sabbath wrongly where you're saying as just like the cessation of something. And so in that mindset, I may just veg on the couch and drink a beer and watch football on Sunday, but like Sabbath properly seized or practiced would involve contemplation. Of course, like it does fundamentally through the act of worship. And I realize I need to be careful because if I go, Oh, um, rest is not the absence of work. It depends on what you're calling these things. And you know, folks, we've brought this up. We've even had episodes specifically about this, that in English, especially where there's just a ton of words that can sort of be used interchangeably, but not quite, um, distinctions can be made that probably change throughout time. So it depends on who you're reading. Um, I would think that the work of creation, for instance, is probably not exactly the sense of what we mean when we're like, Oh, I went and worked digging a ditch. Um, it's, that's sort of an equivocal use of the terms, but suffice it to say, but we're trying to make a distinction here. Rest is not, not an activity. It's not. So, so rest is an activity just yeah. like prayer is an activity. So people, you know, you see this online where, oh, thoughts and prayers, how about you do something and you go, well, thinking and praying are doing something. You're asking for something else. You're saying that they shouldn't inhibit a political activity as well. Good and fine. But to say like, oh, well, prayer or thinking isn't doing it's the same way thing where people go like, well, you know, put your money where your mouth is or, you know, oh, well, you're thinking about it, but you're not doing it's not the fact that thought and prayer aren't activities. It's that they're not the right activities called for maybe in a particular situation. Okay, rest is an activity. Rest is perfect activity. Rest is not work. Now, you go, but isn't work an activity? And then we can get in like big dorky, you know, it can get into boring philosophy class really quick. But what we want to say is that there are activities, some of which involve work and toil like we're talking about but then there are activities that are not toilsome contemplation like you said is one of them recreation shouldn't be now sometimes i think sometimes we toil even on the weekends you'll hear people go like oh we had a vacation they'll list what you did and you're like i'm tired listening to you (laughs) about what your vacation is but of course people point that out right like we can do physical activity that's very recreational that makes us tired, but we don't consider it work. Yeah. So we have to make out the make a, a clear distinction that when we talk about rest, we rest from our toils and our hardships and the servile things we must do. When we rest, we can do a couple of things. Part of them is recreation. So I don't think we need to like totally, you know, poo-poo on the idea that sometimes you just need to have a beer with friends watch something you enjoy. Like you said, truly do something to allow stress to fall from us. But when we say that can't be all that it is, that's what we're getting at when people go, oh, well, we're just going to entertain people on the weekend to take their mind off the fact that they don't actually like the work they do because they don't think it's important or whatever reason. Everybody's working for For the weekend. Right. And so the idea is, you do the stuff just to get the money that you can do to make yourself forget what you do those other five days. 
that is quite the hamster wheel. This is something yeah. like the Marshall McLuhan will call it the closed system that makes it impossible to have any sort of interiority or to look outside of ourselves properly. What we have to do is, yes, recreate. So recreation, right? We sort of take a break so that both physically and spiritually and mentally, we allow things that maybe got nicked up or bruised over a certain period of time to heal. But to your point, contemplation which can be a lot of effort, isn't toilsome and is the most appropriate type of rest because it will be when we rest in God, like you said, the sort of both ways of Augustine and Gregory of uh, Nyssa, it's going to be important to rest precisely in that perfect activity. If contemplation is a lot of work, that's because maybe we're amateurs at it and we're still working at it, which is fine. But that's why, for instance, Bud, Someone like Thomas Aquinas will say, look, um, it's okay to read on the weekend and even do studies because he didn't consider it toilsome work. It was Mm -hmm. contemplation, or even if it was effort, it was meditation for the sake of contemplation. So I think those are – people might go like, well, you've you've thrown lots of words and they seem like they're they're close, but I think if we make the distinction between – what we're meaning, the type of effort and, you know, the difference between effort and toil maybe might be the essential thing to bring up. Well, you mentioned earlier the great philosopher Joseph Pieper, P-I-E-P-E-R, and you're more of a Joseph Pieper expert than I am. But what I took away from that book when I read it back in the day was, uh, you know, Pieper makes the point that the modern world has really inverted the order of how we should think about these things where we think of work as sort of like the most important activity that we do. And we kind of boil down life to like, I don't know, like if someone asks about you, like in most social circles, they say like, what do you do? And we inevitably just jump to our careers. Like that's almost like uh, the constitutive part of our lives of, of who we are. You know, like we don't oftentimes like lead even with like our family or like how many children we have, et cetera. What do you do? It's like, well, I'm, a banker, whatever it happens to be. Whereas like Pieper says, like the most important things in life, like worship, the creation of beauty, like um, meaningful lasting relationships, work enables those things. But those are the things like the things that are good in and of themselves. That's what we are created for. And we should orient our lives to prioritize those things. You know, like you get into like theological circles and sometimes there's slight shades to this. I think actually in recent years, an interesting debate has kind of kicked off in Catholic theology where now, uh, if we have members of Opus Dei listening out there, <laughs> I, like I have a great deal of respect for St. Jose Maria Scriva, but I feel like there are some strands of thinking in Opus Dei circles where like work becomes the means of our sanctification and it's almost put on a higher pedestal than it should be. Whereas, like, I, I know you're a Benedictine oblate, like, for Benedictines, and you can correct me where I get this wrong, like, toilsome labor is really kind of like a result of the fall. It's kind of almost a sort of penance that we do. However you sort out that sort of theological discussion, I think Pieper's point is something we have to recover where, like, work enables the truly great things in life. And if we don't prioritize and carve out space for those, like, we're we're less humane. It's funny because... um I had that sort of argument about um, the Opus Dei. So that's, you know, the work of God is what the Benedictines called praying. And then, of course, Opus Dei talks about, you know, it's work of God. But they saw that, like you said, in a way, like, well, we integrate what we do. Um, and um, 
it was the first time I heard John Leonetti's name because uh, <laughs> Uncommon Good All Star Mark Aquilina. Mike Aquilina, excuse me, was in Wichita, yeah. and he and I were having an argument about this because he he thought like f- fundamentally, you know, Opus Dei and what the Benedictines meant by that it's essentially the same thing. I politely disagreed, and I was telling him like, oh, by the way, I'm moving to Des Moines, and he goes, oh, when you get there, you got to find this guy John Leonetti. So it's funny that this discussion had all those years, like seven years ago, basically eight, maybe um, in Wichita, Kansas about like Opus day. But then there's Opus day uh, with our good friend, Mike um, is why we have this radio show right yeah. now. Yeah. So, um, but I do think I would say that even in the intervening time and any contribution that Mike and I might've made to the discussion, I think it's still indeterminate whether people decide one of us has won out. Um, and I mean, I think Mike might even not think we actually had a disagreement. <laughs> um, I, I still contend that we uh, we did, but I do think it's interesting, right, But about how we navigate um, those two angles to what we're talking about. This is The Uncommon Good, Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr. Um, we're going to take a break. We're going to take a Sabbath, Bud, from yeah. segment one, <laughs> the first one into the next one. Uh, and when we get back, we will get back to creating more good content for you. This is The Uncommon Good. We'll be back right after this. Back with The Uncommon Good. Bo Bonner and Dr. Budmar joining you this week. Thank you for listening to the show, no matter what way in which you do so, through the radio, through the website, through uh, the app, or, of course, through podcasts. It is wonderful to have you with us. Um, Bud, we have been talking about Sabbath and rest and leisure and things like this. Um, I'm going to rephrase something you said earlier because I think it was hitting at, at a nerve center of what we're going on here. You said when people ask what is it that you do, we almost invariably um, say work and that there's something that we have backwards about this. I'm going to agree with you fundamentally, but I'll, I'm going to put it a different way. I think we're right when people say what do you do? And you say, oh, I work this way or that. But if someone asks you, like, so like, oh, what do I do? I do blank. This is the work I do. But what am I? Well, I'm a Catholic. I'm a father. I'm a philosopher, right? If we keep those distinct, distinct, then perfectly great. What you do can be work, the servile things, what you make do to make a a living so you survive. But what, what am I is the most fundamental things. But to me, the problem is we have collapsed those two. Yeah. That when people say, what do you do? We answer it in such a way as you go, I am the work that I do, rather that I do work so that I can be who I am. And maybe that's in layman's terms, the sort of locus of what, you know, the focus point of what we're getting here. Um, and if that's the case, this is why Sabbath doesn't just become something like a nice add-on. Yeah. That we go like, oh, it's something cool the Christian communities do. This is something that we need to pay much more attention to um, because it's at the heart of that. I'm not what I do. I do think so I can be who I am, a Catholic, a spouse, a parent, etc. What my vocation is. Well, that's what we're trying to say on this episode, that this practice is integral to who we are as human beings. And it's important to bring that up because, you know, I know sometimes people will look even at like um, the the Jewish people and uh, the the Jews and they say they, they see their practice of the Sabbath and it seems so unique and kind of different to how, you know, like, like some Jews will go very far and, and not wanting to use electricity on the Sabbath and things like that. 
So it's sort of like it can be perceived by those outside the church as uh, like this special revelation that dropped from the sky. But what we're trying to say is this is part and parcel of what it means to be a human being and to flourish in the world. And I think it's appropriate to discuss this on a show about the common good. Uh, You know, like once you start digging into Sabbath practice, there's all sorts of implications for the social order. Uh, I think especially of the Jubilee year. So the Sabbath, it had a character, like it had a a rhythm, a weekly rhythm where it'd be six days. And then on the seventh day, uh, the people of God would rest. But it also rippled outwards into like even span of generations. And so uh, famously in the Old Testament, God commands like, so you take the Sabbath, seven, seven times seven is 49. So the 50th year was almost like a super Sabbath. And there were all sorts of practices that the people of God were supposed to do. So the Israelites would let their farmland lay fellow. Debts were to be forgiven, uh, indentured servants to be set free. And so like we, we read that in the Old Testament, we think like, oh, you know, like that's something that's a relic of the past. We sort of move beyond that, but you get to the ministry of Jesus Christ. <laughs> and of course, when he, when he uh, makes his ministry public or begins his public ministry is probably a better way to say that he goes in the synagogue and he reads, uh, this, this, um, prophecy it's from Isaiah, right? Do you recall? I believe it's from the book of Isaiah where he says that the spirit of the Lord has anointed him to do these works to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Like three of those things you'll notice are closely connected or like they're embedded in that Jubilee year. And then at the end of the prophecy, like when he says like, this is fulfilled in your midst, Christ specifically proclaims the year of the Lord's favor or Jubilee year. And if you can imagine if, if the people of God, like if, if the society at that time had been living in a different way and not habituating themselves to this practice, how radical the proclamation of that Jubilee year would have been. And so you think like, well, how did Jesus step on toes? Or like, how did he rile the leaders of the day? This proclamation of the Jubilee year might've been part of it. And you know, if you're not living up to that, it probably was convicting for a lot of people who were listeners that day. No, I think that's important to think about even. So the beginning of May, uh, we have a feast uh, for St. Joseph the worker, right? That it's not inconsequential, for instance, that Jesus, when he was born, was not born um, a son of a king or, you know, some sort of functionary, but St. Joseph, who was uh, a worker. Um, and, you know, going back about to what we were sort of closing out, like the first segment where that might make it sound like, oh, then all works great. Why are you bagging on work? Why don't you guys have a show dedicated to good, hard American work rather than rest? Um but your point about the Sabbath and Jesus understanding the spirit and the end goal of Sabbath and Jubilee year being fulfilled in the coming, his coming as the Messiah, I think it's interesting to think about that, that he came as a son of a carpenter to then announce that particular good news. Yeah. Um, I think there's a difference to talk about your career versus your vocation. And I mean, it would be sort of anachronistic to like throw that back to the vast majority of human history. But I actually do think there's some distinction to be made. It's, it's dignified. I mean, I can even think you can say that Joseph's vocation, he was like, the, one of his vocation was to be the foster father of Jesus, as it were. Um, but one of his vocations is worker. Um, but I think it's different to say 
worker is your vocation different than like what specific work you do, the career, like so carpenter. Um, it's dignified to say that God put on earth a humanity that could manipulate tools, that could look at the world, you know, could make big decisions like this. Yeah. Um, and so that we we are uh, co-workers in the garden of God, but that gets into the Augustinian part that part of the punishment for sin, though, is you're not only going to tend the garden, but you also have to weed the thorns that did not come until sin entered the world. The Sabbath and the Jubilee years is about as it were, but our collective carrying the thorns together, that we're not just going to make one group of people and like, you guys, you deal with the thorns, everybody else gets to have leisure and rest. Um, We're all going to have leisure and rest off the back of what you do with the thorns. The Jubilee years, the Sabbath and Jubilee years was about us collectively doing something about that. And that's exactly what the coming of the Messiah is to say, the thorns will go away. Yeah. Um, and we will collectively and together do our vocation of tending the garden of, of the new the new Eden, which is heaven. So I think you're absolutely right to see why those are all threaded together and why it is very fitting that Jesus' foster father on earth was a worker, a carpenter, um, but he was not just um, the labor he provided. He was not just the fact that he filled up, like you said, um, needs that had to be done, the servile needs, um, the vocation of humanity to to work the garden is distinct from the punishment of weed-eating, essentially, the garden. Yeah. Um, but to throw that all on one group of people and not share it, this is the message, I think, that the Sabbath and the Jubilee years um, indicate. And look, bud, is it the book of Daniel that essentially says... Israel will be sent into exile yeah. the amount of years that they ignored the Jubilee years. Yeah. So this is not inconsequential at all. No, this is so like growing up, I read a lot of the Bible. I studied biblical theology at John Brown university and I just kind of, I really missed the, uh, the Jubilee year and how central that was to the narrative of the old Testament and like you said, Bo, the prophets eventually come to see Israel being taken over and cast into exile as a punishment for not adhering to the Jubilee year. So this is like up up with, you know, like worshiping the golden calf. This is one of the cardinal sins of the people of Israel. It's a, it's a challenge to us and like how, like, do we enable this um, for those around us, for the community? I think especially, Bo, so Joseph Ratzinger slash... Pope Benedict XVI, before he died, he really pressed this as a challenge. He said, you know, like uh, over the last 50 years, you've really seen the um, the emergence of the vigil mess. Uh, so like on Saturday evenings. And this was, so this is an interesting question. This was driven by a good impulse because we have members of our community like first responders or nurses, uh, others who, you know, police officers, whoever it happens to be, who like they can't take a Sunday off necessarily. Like we need staff in the emergency room Sunday at 11 a.m. And so I think the vigil mass, like the vigil mass does have a foothold in the tradition. Like we have the Easter vigil and we know that Christians would worship in such a way as to anticipate the Lord's day. But, you know, unfortunately, like in its actual practice today, it's become for some, and 
I've, I've been guilty of this as well as like, yeah, I want to free up my Sunday. Right, right, right. And so I go to mass on Saturday evening. I sort of get it out of the way. And then on Sunday I can, I can truly enjoy the day. And Pope Benedict said, you know, like really Sunday as the Lord's day has important symbolic resonance. And so it's fine that we have the East, the, the excuse me, like the Saturday vigil as a way for some Catholics to fulfill their obligation. And of course it's fine for any one of us to worship on Saturday, but um, there is a way where like Pope Benedict was pressing us to recover Sunday and the symbolic resonance that's there. Yeah. The most radical thing I'm actually going to advocate on Iowa Catholic radio right now is we do one of two things. One is if we're going to keep the two day weekend, I actually think the two day weekend should be Sunday and Monday. Yeah. Or I just think it's time. It's time, bud. It's time. Three day weekend. Ooh. Just do four tens. Now you go, God, what? Look, it's still 40 hours. And I know that you guys go in your hearts, you're like, well, no one actually only does 40 hours. And you're right. That's a problem. Four tens is. We, we've proven, bud, that we can do it in the pandemic, A, for most jobs. Yeah. But four tens also is possible because we have electric light. And no, and, and very few people are so tied to agriculture, at least in the United States, where it would be improbable uh, that like a 10-hour day would mess with things. I, we're never – how America exists as a consumer society now, we're never going to like get people – Unfortunately, this won't service jobs uh, won't be affected. But at least if you can get a large part of society to get where there is part of the weekend is after Sunday, so people are not going around or they're not traveling, they're not rushing around. If you can make Sunday the centerpiece of the weekend, I think that that's what you have to do. And people go, but Bo, Sunday's the first day of the week. Fine. You guys, we're humans. We made this up. Just go look. The week, call it the week beginning. It's not the weekend. It's the week beginning. We begin on Sunday where you don't work. And then Monday's the day you recover after worshiping. Work Tuesday to Saturday or what I really think should happen, bud. Tuesday Tuesday to Friday, four tens. Saturday, you get to breathe a bit. Sunday, you worship the Lord. Monday, you get to breathe a bit get back into it what do you think if taylor marshall can say he's running for president (laughs) why can't i just throw out on our podcast that i advocate for four tens so that we can have three-day weekends keep sunday in the middle and appropriately have rest time on both ends to make sure we focus on worshiping the lord it's better than your take away our pews idea (laughs) i need my i need my pew no um if we take away the pews that's fine i just think you also have to like go back to the earlier practice of moving the homily to after yes. mass is over or like shorter before, homilies. But yeah, perfectly for it. No, what's interesting about what you're talking about there is like a lot of times our theolo- So I don't like obeying God. For, <laughs> I don't want to stop. I don't like obeying God for utilitarian reasons. There you go. There you go. There like some, um, so sometimes like we try to prove like, well, if we, if we do this, like there's all these great outcomes, but like right. the, the Lord's command hits us as it is. And so, we adhere to the Sabbath for the sake of it. But I do think um, a lot of our practices, like when we reflect on them further, we see it works with our DNA. It's the way that we're, we were created. So with your talk about uh, four tens or even maybe perhaps not like always a 40-hour work week, like if you look at actual studies, I think it's shown that with that proper rest, like human beings are actually more efficient. Yep. 
But we have to think about this today because it's in the cold, it's in the water. Like there's all sorts of conversation about all these like key roles in our society where people are burning out because of how much is expected of them. So we have to develop a better rhythm than we have right now. I mean, the other example, just <laughs> I, I know that you're you, you're making the philosophical points, and I keep being like, here's practical ideas. Yeah. Okay, but you could do four, listen here, bud, four nines and then a half day. Ooh. Nine, eighteen, twenty-seven, thirty-six. You get a little four hours, and so you can either ease out of into the weekend or ease into it. I don't mind. I'm just saying that there should be time off around Sunday, yeah. so that Sunday is not the day people feel imp- compelled to travel or to veg out, like you said. I think if you're doing this very practical thing that I'm bringing up where we either work the same or barely less, I'm actually with you. I actually think a 36-hour work week. For most jobs, it's fine, but that's a bigger argument. But if you listen to my plan, people listening to Iowa Catholic Radio, people will have a day to just do nothing, and they'll have a day to do stupid stuff that we all like to do, including myself, and we'll have a day dedicated to the Lord even if not everyone in America will do this, but it will free up Christians, except in those, like you said, rare occasions where it's like first responders and things, to be able to be, I don't have to like do something Sunday night to prepare for work on Monday. But to paraphrase Star Wars, this is the way. <laughs> well, to kind of build on this point, you know, to practice Sabbath well, however we enable folks to do it, but like to lean into it and to to do it as well as we can with the circumstances that are in front of us. Like this is really a foretaste of heaven. And you're like, when I was growing foretaste four tens, there we go. That's the, that's the poster. That's the marketing campaign. I hope Matt Romke is listening. Matt Romke is VP of marketing at mercy college of health sciences who underwrites the show. Yep. Yep. But, um, you know, like when I was growing up in more of like a revivalist background, we would sing these songs like I'll fly away old glory. And like, you know, the by and by. And so, Heaven was very much something that we were looking forward to. And there's like a good impulse behind those songs. But like, as theologians point out, we can experience a foretaste truly of heaven now at the mass, but also um, in in living the Sabbath, like in that contemplation that we were talking about, which is really like sitting with and reflecting upon the truths of God and who God is and God's love for us. And so like that abundant life is not like a by and by per se. It's, it's a present reality and for us to live Sabbath well as individuals, as families, as communities, like we're manifesting heaven to, to the world and saying like this is who God created us to be. There is another revivalist song that speaks to what you're mm-hmm. saying. So, Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. You know the next part. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. See, See I think I'm able to see, hold pitch better when I'm singing with you. Well... When you have a beautiful voice leading the way. <laughs> Do you know um, Heaven Came Down and Glory Filled My Soul? And there's like parts. Yes. Heaven Came Down. That was my favorite hymn growing up. That I love that one. Um, yeah, we're, we're running out of time. If you really, We should do an entire episode of like Bowen Bud's old school from when they were evangelicals revivalist show. Well, I want more parishes to recover some of our chant and also like the music that was written for the mass. But if we're going to sing hymns, oh yeah, there, there are some better ones out there than I think we often have recourse to. Um, one that you do get to hear, but you really have to dig in most of the Catholic hymnals is a uh, crown him with many crowns. Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah. That was well, we really studied good. at a Methodist Divinity School, and Charles Wesley, who, like, people know John Moore, Charles was actually, like, more Catholic-leaning yeah. in his theology, and some of his hymns, like... Wrote even, some bangers. Even about the Eucharist were great. Absolutely. Well, and, I mean, this goes back, so you go, like, oh, so we're just talking about music. I thought you guys were talking about <laughs> Sabbath. But singing, bud, I think is a great way for people to imagine what we mean when we say rest can be an activity. Singing is a perfect example. You can do a lot of work, right? Like to get good enough at singing to sing as a group. But, and, and you know, if you sing too much or you sing too hard or loud, you know, you can, yeah. you know, you can get tired from singing. But the sort of way in which it takes you out of yourself and absolutely. Yeah. And so you really do feel in, in the deepest sort of sense, um, rested in a way even if there's like a lot of effort in was it saint augustine who said the one who sings prays twice yes which is interesting because he also was a little suspicious about music and the way it could like influence your emotions or prey on them he was really good about being uh ironic about that he also uh the confessions is one long very beautifully written rhetorical book about worrying about rhetorical beauty so you know he's a uh augustine's an enigma inside of a um we should do a show about the confessions. We should do a book club series. Oh my gosh. And like our listeners have to read. Before that would listen. be true active rest. Look out for it, folks. It's coming your way. This is the Uncommon Good. Bob Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr will be back right after this. with the Uncommon Good. Bo Bonner, Dr. Bud Marr joining you this week. Thank you for listening to the show. Any way you choose to listen to the show via airwaves, uh, internet waves, <laughs> digital waves, or I guess podcast waves, also internet waves. Mostly waves on the internet unless you're listening live um, through the radio. But no matter what wave you rode over here, surfed over on, we're glad to have you in our groovy uh Iowa Catholic Radio and uh, <laughs> the Uncommon Good. But um, clearly I need more rest because uh, quickly the metaphors I'm using are fraying very badly. Well, before the show started or before the, we got deep into the discussion, you promised that the episode would be electric. <laughs> I hope and feel like we have lived up to that. If you want to plug into our prayer life here at Iowa Catholic Radio, hey, yo. you can do so by joining us in prayer. We, we broadcast the Rosary on air. At 6 a.m. and 10 a.m., we pray together the uh, Chapel of Divine Mercy at 2.55 in the afternoon. But you can also use the Iowa Catholic Radio app to find out what's happening in and around the diocese, but also to pray the rosary anytime, anywhere. Speaking of what's going on in and around the diocese, like you said, on iowacatholicradio.com, you can uh, check all that out. And not just the diocese, but of course the greater um, Iowa Catholic Radio listening area. And June 9th, we have coming up at St. Francis, Francis of Assisi in West Des Moines. Um, at noon, the Man Up West Power Lunch. Also on June 16th, same place, St. Francis of Assisi, West Des Moines, but at 7 p.m., Rome Beneath the Surface with uh, with Deacon Omar uh, Guterres, host of the Catholic Hour with the Ev- Evangelium Institute. June 24th, up at the Iowa State Capitol, we have the Iowa March for Life with Pulse Life Advocates. June 24th in Clive, 6 p.m. at the Horizon Event Center. Nightfire Concerts present Jordan Feliz with special guest Spoken. Uh, July 15th at the Community Choice Credit Union Convention Center Ballroom, Walker Hayes, presented by Fairway to benefit the Iowa Catholic Radio Foundation with special guests uh, George Burge and local favorite Josh Sinclair. Um, 
Advanced tickets should be already on sale now using the public code ICR10. Um, thank you to the people who have sponsored Celebrate Country, BSB Design, Community Choice Credit Union, Valiant, Family Wealth, and the Ball Team. And then finally, bud, starting in August, all of the wonderful Iowa State Fair grandstand stuff that we're doing. Um, and then finally, finally, November 2023, the 15th anniversary Footprints of God Signature Pilgrim. Join Father P.J. McManus and Matt Wilkham with Stephen Janet Ray on an Iowa Catholic Radio exclusive pilgrimage to the Holy Land. And, bud, people just need to remember that they can look at all of that stuff and be reminded of all those goodies by going to iowacatholicradio.com. Another thing you can do on iowacatholicradio.com is donate to this ministry. This ministry is not just the folks who hear on air, the people behind the boards or behind the desk. It is your ministry as well. You make it possible. You make it where people can hear uh, the life-saving message of Jesus Christ in his church. It is made possible by your material support. So please, please, please prayerfully consider to donate to Iowa Catholic Radio, which you can do on iowacatholicradio.com, on the Iowa Catholic Radio app, and by calling or texting 515-223-1150. One more time, 515-223-1150. Have you been to the Holy Land? Uh, in prayer. Okay. Uh, you know, when I think about future career goals, speaking of... <laughs> Of work, I see where this is going. I, I'd want to. I'd like to be one of those guys that leads pilgrimages. It's either that or like the Jeff Cavins traveling barbecue road show. Oh yeah, I. That was one of the. I. I don't know how we explain it fast, uh, but like at one point, Jeff Cavins. They, yeah, they just like went every to, to places and parish to parish. But yeah, and like they people, led. They led with barbecue. They led with barbecue, which sounds like a good idea. Where would you want to do the pilgrimages at? Mainly Ireland and Jamaica. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I could lead a good Fatima tour. There you go. The Bud Fatima tour already like, has people signing. I up. could do the Holy Land if we brought on um, Uncommon Good All Star Matthew Umbarger. Oh yeah, and he could mainly do all the talking, and I would provide the barbecue. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's perfectly fair. If people want to do um, the Oklahoma pilgrimage, I'm your man. It's almost like a thing now with the uh, shrine to Blessed Stanley Rother. Absolutely. What other uh, holy sites in Oklahoma. Well, Stillwater, Oklahoma, where Clear, I went Clear to college. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> Stillwater has two of the coolest new churches I've seen. But but my point is, like, we can do the the Oklahoma to Nebraska tour uh, pilgrimage. It will be great. It'll be great. I'm salivating. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, this is the uncommon good. May Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, reign in our hearts, our family, city, state, nation. Uh, solar system galaxy the whole kit and caboodle this is the uncommon good and we'll be back next week the uncommon good with bo bonner and dr bud marr is heard every week on wonderful catholic stations like this one and anytime on podcast just search for the uncommon good support for iowa catholic radio and the uncommon good provided by mercy college of health sciences learn more at mchs.edu